If you have your Bibles today, we're going to turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Last week, last week we looked in, in verses 12 through 19, I think it was, or 12 through 20. Today, we're going to look in verses 1 through 8, and we're going to focus our attention there. We're going backwards a little bit in this series, and that's because the end of chapter 5, it ends with immorality within the church family. And then the end of chapter 6 ended with immorality within individuals. And, and we just wanted to deal with that sexual immorality that was going on in the church and within individuals together. So we would be by that. Now we're going back here to the idea of fighting lawsuits. Fighting against lawsuits can you believe <laughs> some of the things that we're going to have to talk about in the next several weeks because it was taking place within the church it's it, when i think about lawsuits among church family lawsuits among born-again believers it just baffles my mind does it you does it make you just wonder what's going on with, with people who profess to be blood-washed uh, children of God? Wow. So it's, a, it's okay. It's norm for you to think that we would sue one another? Mm, I would hope not. <laughs> I would hope not. You know, as we're turning to here, I just want, let me share this with us. There was a church. A church member who shouted, praise the Lord, so often during church services that other members were so affected by it that they took this man to court. The accused, he was acquitted of the charge of disturbing a religious gathering while agreeing that the accused was he could be a nuisance to the church. The magistrate himself, he ruled that the emotional member had not violated civil law. However, the congregation's ruling body had decreed that the accused could not speak in church or take part in church activities. One leader in the church shared that the accused repeatedly shouted, praise the Lord Amen. To the point to where the pastor had to vacate the service. Let me stop right there. I got a little bit more to share, but I want to say this to you. Uh, you've heard me say this before, and I usually share it when I go to preaching revivals, but just as a reminder, I'm a country boy from Union Chapel where they are okay if you say amen. They're okay if you say praise the Lord. As a matter of fact, they're okay if you want to run around the church. I grew up in that. It doesn't scare me. And I never vacate the service because someone is obeying the Lord. Now, whether or not this man was obeying the Lord, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But what I do know is there were some people disturbed at the way that he worshipped. <laughs> this is a most peculiar situation. The magistrate said he suggested that the church authorities consult 
consult their legal advisors to seek some way to promote harmony. We need to really get that. That the magistrate suggested that the church's leading authorities consult legal counsel to seek some way to seek harmony. Do you find that being backwards? I find that as being backwards. The church is the one who should be helping the world to see that we are to always seek harmony. If the world is telling the church that we need to seek harmony, and if they're giving us instructions on how to seek harmony, we're so far out the will of God that we have to question whether we're even born-again Christians. Now, this may sound absurd to you. It may sound absurd to some people, but it happens more than we think it happens. But it should never happen. Born again, blood-washed Christians should never allow their emotions and their rebellion to reach the point that we have to settle our differences with other born-again Christians in a court of law. Really, come on. We've got to do better than that. We've got to. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is dealing with in the church in Corinth. When we look in today's text, Paul gives us some instructions on how Christians should conduct themselves. The Bible tells us in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, he says, he begins (laughs) with this word, dare. Dare any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. Now, Therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to the law against one another. Why would you rather, why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. This is God's holy word. Pray with us. God, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We we look to you this day, God, and we, we need you this day. God, we pray that you would anoint me afresh. We pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that, God, I'm just used as a vessel. God, help me to preach with love, with tenderness, with kindness. Help me, God, to prepare and to preach your word as you would have it to be. Fix my heart. And God, we pray that you would fix the broken words that will be shared. 
form and fashion them in the hearts of those who are listening. And God will praise you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. <laughs> now, before we dive into this passage, uh, there's a couple things I, I really want us to, to come to terms with. First is that the fact that Paul was writing this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We, we need to settle that before we go any further. You won't hear a word of this if you don't settle in your heart and mind that whatever is going to be said, Paul is saying it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul's not writing his own words. Instead, he is writing the word of God. This letter is not just Paul's letter to the Corinthian believers. It's also God's letter for us. When we look at this, Paul's not talking about a legal system of his day. If he was, the passage would not be relevant for us. However, God's word, it transcends time. It always has been. It currently is now. And it forever will be relevant for whoever reads his word. So as we do look at this passage, we have to look at the truth of it. And see how it applies to our lives. Now, in understanding that, we also have to be sure that we notice that this passage does not prohibit a Christian from hiring a lawyer and going to court. It's not what this passage focuses on. In fact, to suggest that this passage says that Christians should never be in court is to take the passage out of context. When we take it out of context, we make it a pretext. In other words, we make it fit our lives. And that's not how the scripture is designed. The scripture is the scripture. We fit our lives to the scripture. We don't make the scripture fit our lives. So... This passage suggests that born-again believers should not behave as the world behaves. When born-again Christians are guided by the Holy Spirit of God, we are guided by a different set of principles. The world is guided by what we have the right to do. But spirit-filled Blood-washed believers are guided by what's right to do. The first gives the authority to do what I have the right to do. The second is to surrender my right and to trust and follow Jesus Christ. We are completely different than the world. If we've been blood-washed, bought by the price that Christ paid on Calvary's cross. So let's look at exactly what the passage is saying. First, I want us to really notice the reality of lawsuits among the church. Now, in the past several weeks, what we have found in looking through 1 Corinthians and getting to this point is that this is a church that is divided. In this case, it appears that some of the members have sought legal judgments against other members. Uh, Paul doesn't give any indication what the particular issue is. But it was such 
that the opposing parties were seeking a judgment outside of the church. Now here we have two professing believers or two groups of professing believers. And Paul goes as far as to call the judges that these groups or these individuals are going to as being unrighteous. In King James, I believe he calls them unjust. Paul is not suggesting that they're not fit to actually preside over a court of law. But he's saying they're unfit to stand before God. And if they're unfit to stand before God, they should be unfit to stand and to judge God's people. So, with this going on, there's got to be, there's something terribly wrong with unbelievers going to settle their disputes to the world. Uh, Paul tells us here that believers, that when believers seek the world to settle their disputes, they have failed miserably. Verse 7a, the first part of 7a, it says, now, therefore, it is already an utter failure For you, that you go to the law against one another. Believers who settle their differences before the world fail to govern their own affairs and by the life of Christ and by the law of God. But not only that, they, not only that, but they're seeking counsel or they're seeking a judgment from those who want nothing to do with the life of Christ or nothing to do with the law of God. For if they wanted something to do with the life of Christ or they wanted something to do with the law of God, then they would be governing their own lives by that. But here, that's not the case. As believers, we are to live by Christ and by his word. it, It doesn't matter how good Billy Graham was as an individual, as a Christian. It doesn't matter how good preacher Mike is as a preacher, as a Christian, as a man. He's not our plumb line. We don't measure our lives by individuals who are walking around today or who have walked around here recently. Who We govern our lives strictly by Jesus Christ. He's the only one who lived a perfect and sinless life. He's the only one we measure our life by. And if we measure our life by him we can't point our finger at anyone else because we'll see just how much of a failure we are ourselves believers are to be the salt of the earth we live by a different standard and if we fail to live by those standards we're failing to be the salt of the earth and when we fail to be the salt of the earth we've lost our flavor and and we're no good to the world because we become no different than the world we those of us who have believed upon who have confessed of and who have surrendered to the lord jesus christ we are to be the standard of the world when the world looks at the church the world should see the light of the world for when god takes the church out of the world you know why there's going to be 42 months of utter chaos because the light of the world the the standard of the world is leaving this world and because it's leaving the world will do nothing but turn itself apart it'll tear itself into pieces because they won't have nothing nothing to look to the church should be what the world looks to the world should never be what the church looks to 
When the world sees us, the church, they should see love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They should see that permeating through our lives. In other words, they should see the fruit of the Spirit. They should never see the works of the flesh. Well, what are you talking about? Well, if we want to accept and live by the standards of the world, what the world will see in us as we are professing to be the church, they'll they'll see a standard that doesn't meet up to Christ Jesus. They'll see that we're filled with idolatry. We're filled with adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, and revelries. In other words, instead when they look at the church of seeing something to aspire to they'll look at the church and see themselves and the world shouldn't see themselves in the church the world should see Christ in the church the reality is lawsuits among church believers have been going on ever since the first century church and this is proof of it But it doesn't mean that we are to overlook it and say, well, it's always been, so it's going to always be. You know, that's one of the phrases the church loves. Well, we've never done anything like that. Well, it's always been that way. Well, we need to get that terminology, those phrases out of our hearts, out of our minds, to never use them again. Because it doesn't matter what it's always been. What matters is now and moving forward. Yes. This is a reality, and it breaks my heart. I'm sure it breaks your heart to know that this is a reality, that lawsuits would happen among church members, among believers. Now, again, we're not talking about the world. Of, of course, the world's going to do what they can to take, the, to take advantage of us. They're going to do what they can to, to harm us. They're going to do what they can to shut us up, to silence us. And there are times when the church just has to take its stand. But we shouldn't be having to take a stand against one another. The remedy of lawsuits... I'm so glad that there's a remedy. (laughs) Whenever we see a reality, there's always a remedy. And I'm so glad there's a remedy. And there is a remedy of lawsuits among the church. First, that we see that the church and its believers must begin to live as God and his word instructs. A Christian life style of love, kindness, discipline, and godly justice must be held up so that the world sees that in us. This is the only way that the world will ever see real love, uh, godly justice, and to have a desperate need that they have met. The only way the world's going to ever come to us, the only way the world's going to ever look to us when they're in trouble, when they're on their way to a demon's hell, is when they see love between the brethren. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples. How? Because you have love for one another. And if we love one another, we're not taking each other to court. In particular, church leaders, of, leaders in the church and its believers must surrender their lives to give all that they have to live as how God instructs. You know, for us... To give all that we have in order to live as God instructs, we may have to consider whether or not we should just accept 
being wrong. In other words, there are times we must be willing to take the short end of the stick. There are times when we must be, we must just accept, well, we've been cheated, but we're going to go on. We're not going to hold it to their account. It's in God's hands. We're just going to move on. As a matter of fact, it tells us that right there in verse 7 in the second part of that verse. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? You know, if we remember in chapter 13 in Genesis, we'll find there that Abraham and all that he had had left out of Egypt. And they're going into this place between Bethel and Ai. But it wasn't just Abraham and all he had. Lot and all he had was coming with him. And when they got to this place, there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough land. There wasn't enough property there to support both uh, uh, men. There weren't enough to support all the livestock of Abraham and all the livestock of Lot. God had truly blessed because Abraham stepped out in faith and said, and went wherever it was God told him to go. When Abraham just left all that he knew to follow after God, God richly blessed him. And he blessed Lot also. Well, here, this land, this land was so little and there was so much livestock that they began quarreling among the herdsmen. The, the herdsmen of Abraham was fussing with the herdsmen of Lot and Abraham noticed what was taking place. So Abraham called Lot to the side and said, please let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen for we are brethren. So Abraham tells Lot here, basically, we need to separate. But Abraham, who had the right to choose what land he would go to. Now remember, let's not forget, Abraham was Lot's uncle. And Abraham brought Lot out with him. But the promises were given to Abraham. So Abraham had the right to look out and choose where he wanted to stay. But instead, he gives that option to Lot. He says, Lot, just look out. And wherever you want to go, you go. Let's separate our men so that there won't be any contentions between us. And you know what Lot did? Exactly what most of us would do. He looked out. He saw where the grass was greener. He saw that it was that there was plenty of water. Everything was growing and flourishing in one direction and over the Jordan. And, and Lot went and said, I want that. Abraham said, will you take it? I'll just take what is left. Oh, also that there would always be harmony between the brethren. Abraham did not want any issues between him and Lot and he was willing to settle for less than for Lot to be able to, to for them to be in harmony with each other we know the story how Lot goes his way and Lot ends up there in Sodom and Gomorrah we know all about that but I want to let you know what takes place when Lot goes to where he thinks it's better he finds out real soon that it's not the best option he finds out real soon that he's in a wicked place but God because of Abraham's faithfulness because Abraham was more concerned about his relationship than he was about being right 
He was more concerned about keeping harmony about, than he was about having his rights met. God blessed Abraham. He told Abraham, look, just look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. Everything that you see will be yours and your descendants. And not only that, your descendants will be as the dust of the ground. I want to tell you, if we're just trust God, no matter what comes our way, if we trust God, even when it seems like we're being taken advantage of, God will bless. God's not as interested in us having our rights as he is interested in us doing the right thing. When we kind of get real with us, how many professing Christian families no longer speak to one another because of an inheritance? How many felt... How many have felt like they've gotten cheated over a piece of land or property that won't matter when they stand before God? Uh, How many Christian brothers have gone into business together only to dissolve the business and never to speak again because they stopped trusting one another? How many church leaders have wanted so much control over the church that they've served the pastor with papers? How many pastors have wanted to arrest the church in a way who wanted to just take control over the church that they, that they serve the leaders of the church and the church itself with papers? I want to tell you, God's not pleased with these sorts of things. We should be a one loving family. If we love the gospel, if we live the gospel, if we share the gospel, if we are about being and becoming a fellowship of believers who are winning souls for the kingdom of God, we've got no time to be at odds with one another. No, to be honest, whether we admit it or not, it all boils down to the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's interfering with us doing what's right. And as a people of God, we should be able to settle disputes without bringing a reproach upon our witness, upon our church, or upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some of you may be asking, well, preacher, but what if we try to settle things with another believer, but they won't compromise, or they won't help to come to some amicable decision well Paul makes it clear there in verse 2 that the saints will judge the world and if this is the case the saints should be the ones judging the saints matter shouldn't they with this in mind we as believers we should look to our church leaders to help us settle our disputes and let me just throw this out if we got church leaders who you don't trust to settle your disputes with one another you don't need them as leaders that goes for me too. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a serious. When, when we're choosing and you get the privilege to choose your church leaders, if you don't trust them, there's no sense of you choosing them. Doesn't matter what their last name is. Yeah, I got to stand before our church leaders. But they know I'm right. It's a heavy weight upon the church leaders. A weight that if you're not one, you don't understand. And with it being that kind of weight, a true leader in the church, he doesn't marvel or he doesn't glory in having to settle disputes 
If he has to settle disputes, it'll come through fasting and prayer. So they're not glorying in getting the opportunity to do this. They're humbled and overwhelmed by the duty of it. Let's go back to Moses. You know, Moses and the children of Israel, they had left Egypt and seemed like there's always trouble whenever people left Egypt, doesn't it? When Abraham left Egypt, there was trouble with him and Lot. When Moses and the children of Israel left Egypt, there was trouble in the wilderness. So much that 11-day trip turned into 40 years. And here in the wilderness, Moses set up to judge the people. They've just come out with everything that they have. They have seen God open the waters of the Red Sea. They have walked across on dry land. They saw their enemy succumb to the waters. They are free and they're here on the other side of the Red Sea. They're here in this wilderness and they're disputing with one another already. And Moses has set up to judge them. Day and night. (laughs) Let that sink in. Day and night. For days on end, Moses is judging the people. Until Moses' wise father-in-law, Jethro, who wasn't even a Jew, (laughs) noticed what was going on. He said, Moses, this is just too much for you. You can't handle all this. You'll become weary and the people will be weary. They're standing in line. Waiting their turn. It wasn't like a a courtroom that we get to sit in today. Where you can sit down or you can walk in and out. or you. A lot of times going into a courtroom today is just so you get to laugh at at some of the stuff that's going on. I imagine they were standing around laughing at, man, they're, they're wanting judgment on something this silly. And not even thinking about how silly their own desire was. And here... Moses' father-in-law says, look, you need, to, you need to look among you and find some men that you trust. Set some over thousands. Set some over hundreds. Set some over fifties and some over tens. And you deal with the hard cases. <laughs> Let that sink in. All of this was going on. Why? Because you had people in one place. <laughs> people in one place. What we see through that illustration is this. If we are not able to handle our disputes ourselves, then we shouldn't trust our disputes to be handled by the world. But we should trust within our family, within our church family, within the body of believers. There should be men. There should be women who can help us. To settle our disputes. To where when we leave. We're leaving together. And not apart. If we can leave together. In the midst of a dispute. We can change our communities. Because believe it or not. Before your dispute is ever met with a judgment. They already know about it. There's nothing about the history of this church 
that those who live in this community don't know about. Even if they weren't living during that time, it's been passed down to them. I pray that all the disputes in this church have been settled amicably. What I mean, they've been settled and we've been able to walk out the door together. But this church has been around since 1881. I'm not foolish. (laughs) We're people. We're flesh and blood. We're not Christ. And there have been some times, I'm pretty sure, just as in every church established, that when we walked out the doors, we weren't hand in hand. But we were going different directions. And you know what? We can't help that. It's already done and it's gone but what we can do is say from this day forward I'm walking hand in hand with my brother and sisters listen I don't know anything going on in our church right now usually the pastor's the last to know and that, that's fine that's fine with me I can be blindsided I got big enough shoulders I can handle it But listen to me, folks. The reason for preaching this is not because we have it going on. See, Paul, (laughs) Paul was bold enough to preach it in the midst of it. I preach it in the midst of it. You're going to say he's right, but he's got to (laughs) go. You look at me. I know. I, I wish you didn't have your mask on so I could see your real expressions. <laughs> some of you, some of you look as I'm going to hide it, but he's right. Yeah, I'm preaching this today, not because it's an issue, but to prevent it from becoming an issue. When we look at this, listen, truthfully. Truthfully, until we remove the chip off our shoulder, and you know the chip I'm talking about, the one that says I'm not going to be taken advantage of, the one that says no one's going to get over me on me, that chip. Until we get that chip off our shoulder and we're willing to sacrifice our desire for God's glory, we'll never receive all that God desires to give us. Man, Abraham... Because he was willing to just say, my desire doesn't matter. I want to keep harmony and I'm going to trust God. God blessed him. God will bless us if harmony is the goal of the family. If we choose, we can be like the Corinthians. We can want our rights or we can demand our rights and more. We can use the world's legal system to our advantage to defraud our brothers and sisters. And the world may call it legal, but God calls it cheating and stealing. Regardless, it's sin. But that's who we once were. Now we've been washed. We're being sanctified and we're being justified in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of God. So let's be more like Abraham. 
Let's care more about God's glory in our lives than the rights in this world. And when we do this, we can experience God pouring out more blessings upon us than what we could possibly see. Sinner friend, I, I know you're thinking, well, I've escaped today. <laughs> the message ain't been about me today. The message has been geared toward the church. But I just want to share this with you. If you would like to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ today, you can be. If you would like to be justified before God, you can be. If you believe Jesus Christ is the son of God, if you believe that he was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, he died for your sins, he arose on the third day. If you believe this and are willing to confess him as your Lord and Savior, if you're willing to repent of your, your sins and surrender yourself to him, today, you can be saved. Today, you can begin living free from the penalty of your sin, which is death. Today, you can begin living in a newness of life. Today, you can begin living the life that God desires you to have. The question is, do you want this life? For the church, your question is, do we want God to get glory in our lives or do we want to be right? Hmm. Amen. I, want glory, I want God's glory in my life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. For those who are unsaved today, oh, this would be a good day for you to come to know Jesus as your Savior. Why do you say that, preacher? For a service like this, with a message like this, for you to come to receive Christ as your Savior? <laughs> it's living proof that in the midst of this message to the church, the Spirit of God was sitting next to you and speaking a completely different message to you, telling you of your need for a Savior. Church, if you're here today and you find yourself with an all against your brother or sister, I pray that, that before you leave this place, if they are here, that you get it right with them so that you can be free as you pray and you seek God's face. If they're not here, I pray that you would get in touch with them some point today so that you'll be free. Free to worship God. Free to serve Him with no guilt or shame. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I pray that today you would be set free from the penalty of your sin. Today, today, when you stand in judgment, you would hear him say, well done, rather than depart from me. But that choice is up to you.